Redwood Logistics is one of the nation's fastest-growing logistics providers, fueled by industry-leading technology and a passionate team of experts. From multimodal brokerage and dedicated truckload to third-party logistics and TMS consulting, implementation, and integration, Redwood Logistics delivers next-generation solutions for its clients and much more than a truckload. Weekly market update. Capacity abounds as volume flattens. Inflation pressure cools, but trucking rates keep climbing in December. Carriers roughed up as shippers, brokers search for freight market bottoms. U.S. Supreme Court rules in favor of driver in dispute with New Prime. Ford, Volkswagen, and announced partnership to jointly develop commercial vans and pickups. And Volkswagen announces a Chattanooga plant expansion with a focus on electric vehicles. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these issues and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. Hey, Zach. Yeah, and we're joined by Zach Strickland. I was all ready to say it, and you just cut me right off. (laughs) Sultan of Sonar, market expert, extraordinaire, Zach Strickland. And, you know, this is episode 50. That's 5-0. And it's, you know, after 50 times, Zach, um, you know, we become set in our ways. And so sorry for cutting you off. But it's great to include you and have you here. No, it's great. Great to be here on 50. I I was on 9, I think. (laughs) Um, well, actually, yeah. I think you were on like maybe 47 or 8 as well. You mm-hmm. were a very recent contributor, and we love having you on, um, and especially for your market analysis and, and not only for your good looks. Um, uh, the, nobody can see that. But more importantly, wonderful sense of humor. More importantly, what, what are you sipping on, Zach? I am sipping on Naked River Brewing Open the Hop Hatch. Ooh, open the hopper. Ooh, you, you, didn't get, you, you want to share? I think you got the hazy, man. I, well, I, I had it last week, and it was delicious. I had to get more. Uh, I don't know how long they're going to have it, so i got to take advantage. And Chad? Well, I was about to have a brown sugar, but I've changed my mind. Um, thanks for sharing, Zach. Yeah, have at it. Um, These guys are right I mean, next door to us. And I am sticking um, with my comfort beer. Uh, back, you know, after a lot, last week's debacle with trying to drink tap water and then failing miserably at Big Deal, Little Deal, I've decided to go back to what works, Bell's Too Hearted. <laughs> All right. This well, week, it's good to have you back. <laughs> Bell's Too Hearted. Well, no, it's good to have you back, JP, drinking beer again. That was the very first time to ever drink water on the podcast. And it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry that it was such a bad experience. But anyway, here we are. And one of the new things that we're trying to do um, is, besides just giving you the headlines <clears throat> of the week, we want to like also have kind of a unique angle where we're bringing, like, for our listeners, um, kind of a market playbook of what to be looking at, um, you know, what, what we've been experiencing th- uh, so far um, in the most up-to-date data that we can imagine possible, but also, like, your playbook literally as you head into the uh, next week. Yeah, so the, those first three headlines that we read, um, the weekly market update with capacity abounding as volume flattens, the inflation pressure cools, but trucking rates kept climbing in December, and carriers roughed up as shippers and brokers searched for the freight market bottom. That's all sort of, you know, what we think of as you know, stories that characterize the freight market. Um, and that's and then, how, yeah, and then we hit our... And then we'll hit our normal sort of headlines, you know, what's happening in automotive, what's happening 
uh, Supreme Court, that kind of stuff. And not to disappoint, we will continue to bring you Big Deal, Little Deal, and this time we're going to make it happen. <laughs> I promise. Well, I can't make any promises I can't keep, I guess. Um, but, Zach, you wrote the uh, very opening headline of the weekly market update, and what do you mean it's monsoon season for capacity? So, essentially, you know, we, we've come into this time of year. January's traditionally kind of like the slow season for freight. Right. Uh, January slows down, but we, we opened up the year with an unusually strong volume uh, right. number. And, you know, <clears throat> that that typically means that capacity kind of goes away. Well, capacity is... Like, like, like in January of 2018. Yeah, yeah. J- January 2018, they had an extended holiday season, uh, if you will, where capacity was still dried up, and it was due to anomalous volumes coming into the market. Well, we're yeah. actually experiencing volume... Uh, and capacity wasn't ready. Right. As they exactly seem to be this year. They're, well, again, carriers had just come off of a slow period of time. They did not. They hadn't been purchasing trucks all year, uh, like they have this year. They haven't had. They didn't have the revenue to kind of invest in the uh, in the, you know, building their infrastructure out. Right. Uh, as they have literally all 20, 2018. In fact, yeah. Well, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but um, have did is it true that are we at historically? low levels of, of tender uh, rejections? Yeah, the tender rejection index hit the, uh, it's hit like a new low. Like so far as we charted it. day this week. Um, wow, we're, we're, yeah. Yeah, we're in like 8.4% uh, territory, which is as low as it's been ever. And I, you know, and I think um, actually, JP, it's an article that you wrote in a part of this market playbook of the carriers roughed up as shippers and brokers search for the freight market bottom. You have a couple of strong reasons for, for and I, I feel like it's, it's, it's important to go ahead and kind of note the how or the, the why this may, is happening. Yeah, I mean, you know, capacity has been fairly loose for some time now. Um, I think we could say uh, even going back into December, November, but, um, you know, one of the common, you know, often repeated adages in the trucking industry is that the shippers are the last to know what's happening right. in the freight market. Well, now they know what's happening in the freight market. And so they are being aggressive in um, issuing their RFPs. They are issuing, you know, um, we talked to, uh, I talked to a brokerage in Chicago that had quoted 3,500 lanes. And they said that the average sort of round two or the average counter offer that they got back from the shipper was 25% lower than what they bid. Um, so, you know, I think the shippers are kind of trying to re- take the reins, push things down, and the brokers are following suit and they're chasing rates all the way down to the bottom. You know, it's really, this is, I mean, it's if you think of trucking capacity as a commodity, there's no real bad day in the market. What's bad for someone is always good for someone else. Right now, shippers are able to save a lot of money. Shippers are moving goods very easily, uh, very cheaply. Um, You know, that will probably end up holding, uh, you know, inflation down for the consumer, um, things like that. And well, and one of the, the things I thought that was interesting that you just like laid out uh, was that you know you've just kind of laid down the gauntlet and said that the capacity constrained environment of the past eighteen months is over. Yeah, and I so think it and, is. and so and so and and um, one of the reasons you you mentioned, of course, you know we've we've seen all of these record breaking orders of truck orders. We've seen that. We've seen uh, double-digit driver wage increases. Which um, is a good thing. And you know what that led me to wonder about? And that's not going to go away, which that, that's good. That's so, I great. mean, even though tender rejections have gone down, I think that the wage increases 
you know, basically prov- have pushed the floor up a little bit. Yeah, no, right? they're, 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 I think Ibrahim uh, kind of wrote about mm-hmm. the, uh, the increase in trucking rates, over-the-road trucking rates still going up, economically speaking, in the macro sense. And that was, in, that was again, that's yep. December numbers. December numbers, exactly. Yeah, that's and, all and we they, have. And they actually are up still year over year. If you look at some of the spot market pricing, we're still at levels like 20 to 30% higher than we were this time last year. So the market has adapted uh, its, its pricing structure already. So the shippers are essentially coming in and trying to, you know, it's kind of a reversal to the mean, you know, yep. kind of going back yep. to the norm. Like the, to get a 25, 30% rate increase in a year is unheard of. Yeah, like right. that is, right. it's also unsustainable. So, <laughs> And I we've mean, been talking a little bit about that over the past, <clears throat> um, you know, week. Uh, you know, right now it seems like rates are going to go down. It's predicted in the they're, first. They're spiraling down quickly. Um, but you know who knows? But, it, but so um, like like our initial report, just to give you an example, our initial report uh, from DAT, which you know it's kind of complicated to explain, but essentially it's reports as they're not final, but you know it's it's over the past five five business days. Okay. From yesterday until today, rates from Chicago to Atlanta, exclusive exclusive of fuel surcharge, fell from two twenty seven a mile to 201 a mile in a day. So we're actually in wow. a, a quite volatile moment. Um, Extremely volatile. Of which brokers are taking advantage of. Yeah. And shippers. Sh- yeah, shippers are driving the bus now, and brokers are kind of along for the ride. Um, they're doing very well because there's plenty of volume, and they're getting uh, fat margins. And, and brokers <laughs> brokers kind of grew up in this kind of environment. Like, they didn't, like, in 2009, 2010, when, when the rates were actually compressing, like, significantly, that's when brokers had their big boom. Yeah. Like, that's when they started really coming onto the scene. So this is kind of natural territory for them. Yeah, this is hmm. this is their happy place. Like, yeah. they, they <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the fall peaks, uh, you know, the summer peak and the fall peak of 2018, actually, they saw negative margins, right? Because mm-hmm. spot rates were outrunning, you know, you know, they're, you know basically the carriers were, were in, in control in driving prices up faster than they could get the shippers on board. Yeah, no, it's it's too hard to keep up when the market's inflating like that. When it's cooling off, you have that kind of leeway because you can always get a truck. You know, I, ha- I have to say that's interesting. I think, um, you know, several months ago, but um, while, like, things were super hot and we were, you know, all time, and we were saying, oh, is this the new norm? Will the pendulum really continue to swing back and forth such as it has historically? And we were like, you know, the pendulum may not swing. The capacity may kind of remain tight. Well, the pendulum is swinging, and the ball is in shippers' yeah, court. Shame on us for, for saying. That. No, I mean, it's. I mean, there may be more visibility and transparency, but the pendulum swings. No, I, I think the hard. It's just the old adage. I mean, what goes up must come down. Yeah. And, and the converse is also true. We're not. <laughs> we're not going to live in this world forever. Just like we're not going to live in that June heated, overheated market forever. <laughs> right. Um, but but. <clears throat> You know, as you said, like the the driver wages and the ELD have created a you know have raised the floor. I think a little bit. I, I think, yeah. No, I agree, and I think that the the last couple of years have actually injected energy into the transportation space that hadn't been there before. So just like the potential energy is now there for it to continuously be in this like pendulum swinging motion. Well, what, a curious thought, and um, I'm just throwing this out there, but um, what is what are the, I mean, and I don't know that we can answer it, but what are the implications to this driver shortage issue? 
You know what I mean? Like if if there if if capacity is abounding and driver wages are super high, like I mean, how is it the same? Is it, is it the same issue that it that no, it was? No, the, the driver shortage is an ATA meme about <laughs> the difficulty of okay. seating over the road drivers. It for the large carriers phase. It's very difficult because these guys, you have to do background checks on them. None of these guys want to drive for a big company. They don't want Big Brother watching them. Uh, eventually, yeah. once they get trained up or they're able to you know, kind of be off on their own, that's exactly what they'll go do. Or they'll yeah. work for a small carrier where they know the dispatcher like personally. It's not going to be somebody that kind of rotates in and out of the, you know, somebody that's talking to them 2,000 miles away. Right. And this is an industry with a, you know a massive number of recruiters that are trying to pull people in, <clears throat> the, yeah. and and the average person is not suited for this kind of job, right? And so they're not happy doing it, and so there's going to be a lot of churn. I mean, I there just, just is, yeah, and yeah. like, but I, I think in terms of like, you know, you know. In 2018, when the Wall Street Journal was writing about how corporate earnings were getting hit by the, you know, the driver shortage and inflated transportation costs, I think we're past that moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the mega carriers are still going to have to you know churn as many people as they always have, but but you know pr- you know capacity and and demand are swinging back in in the, in the other direction. Well, and well, not in balance. But. Well, to ask another question, um, you know, we're we're saying that uh, you know we've talked a lot about shippers and brokers here. What what are the carriers trying to do right now? Are they are they trying to renegotiate rates? No, no, uh, no. They're, they're, they're trying to hold on to the rates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're trying they, to hold on to their contract rates. Absolutely. Oh, they're right. trying to hold on to them, but they but they're but they're not the getting ship, any. The shippers are are yeah. asking for decreases. This is this is kind of yeah. The and way. so, what are the carriers doing? They're, no, like, are they literally trying to hold trying, forth? Yeah, they try to hold the service because once they break service, then the shipper can go to them and say, hey, your service isn't great. Uh, yeah. We're going to you know, look elsewhere if you can't service our freight, and they'll have a multitude of options. So, but, I, but I guess my, my question is if they are going, if, if, if the shippers are going to the spot market and finding the cheap freight, then, then is there a response right now that the carriers are trying to, to have? I, I mean, they need to talk about, the carriers need to talk about the long-term relationship because that's essentially ah. what damaged the, the, the shippers last year. Yeah. It's like, look, you guys bail on me and have been beating me up for five uh-huh. years. Mm-hmm. And now I finally have some leverage in this, in this space. Right. And the shippers found themselves in uncharted territory for the first time in a very long time where they couldn't find trucks. Right. And so right. the carriers kind of were like, look, this this is going to happen, and the shippers were kind of like, uh, yeah, I guess it's your turn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, I think you know more broadly speaking, the strategy. You know, if you know carriers, they're looking for asset utilization. They need to keep their trucks moving. The price, <clears throat> you know, matters less at this point. Even right. They're not. You know, January is not typically a time when they're looking to You're you right. know make profits. What they're trying to do is cover their fixed costs. They just want to make it through January, February, essentially. Yeah, until so, produce season starts. Yeah, historically cycling. speaking as yeah. well, right? Yeah. I mean, exactly. That's, no, yeah. that's, that's exactly right. Um, okay, well, what about, um, you know, Ibrahim's piece uh, on, you know, in, in the good news is inflation pressure is cooled so far as our, de- our December uh, information is telling us. Um, like, you know, like it looks like there, there's a very strong likelihood that the um, the Fed may not raise interest rates um, one or even two times. 
Um, what you're saying, JP? Think, do you, I, I you, you think, think maybe one. ones? I think I think the 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 bond market is pricing in no rates, but okay. a lot of people are saying it'll probably happen once. Um, they, okay. they need to build. They need to build it up a little bit so they have a little bit of ammunition left uh, in the tank if they need to give the economy a little bit of a boost or a kick. Yeah, but um, you know, it's it's great, honestly, that yeah. that we don't have a lot of inflation. Um, I mean, talk. You, you can talk about it however you want. I mean, it's you know, it, not having a lot of inflation implies a strong dollar, which mm-hmm. it, which means that you know it's hard. It hurts our exports, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps us. It helps us buy things more cheaply, which probably helps the freight economy. Um, no, the currency markets are crazy. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to really kind of concisely explain the impacts of like inflation and deflation. God willing. God. Hopefully, yeah. none of that happens. But right, right. Um, mm-hmm. a little, a moderate pace of inflation is, is is exactly what you want. You don't want it to obviously go off the charts. You don't want it to go negative either. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you want people to spend money. You want people to be incentivized to you know mm-hmm. banks, uh, you know anyone who has a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. You don't. You want them to be incentivized to get it out of their bank account and put it to work. Right, and and thinking about that in terms of the freight market, like the price increases that we we saw last year were were not good inflation. Let's right. in the long run. You know, it's like well, as as I think as as he as he said, um, you know that or he observed was like it just seemed like just very recently we were still worried that we were overheating. We were in an overheated market yeah. and yeah. Um, things were spiraling Th- out of control. Th- third and, quarter of 2018, yeah. uh, GDP grew above four percent. I mean that's it, no, I mean that's, and that uh, you know. Uh, Possibly wasn't very healthy. No, that's a that's a short term benefit to essentially the carriers and brokers out there that isn't sustainable and it hurts them in the long run. Like we're that's probably why we're seeing this kind of cratering effect right now is because it has essentially cratered on them. Yeah. Have you ever like gone out, you know, with your buddies and gotten really excited and had maybe <laughs> Never. a little too no. much fun? Nope. That's a terrible and then, idea. And then the next day, <laughs> it's, it's kind of even worse than you know it normally would have been. Mm. Well, that's a kind of an interesting analogy, JP. And there's, there's, it's not a coincidence that they call like you know they refer to the January hangover mm-hmm. um, in freight, um, hmm. especially with yeah. regard to all the freight that was pulled forward. You know, it's. You can if if you if if you assume a, a sort of a, a normal constant you know average of freight activity and then external forces bunch it all up into one period, well, that means there's going to be less in another period. Exactly. No, that's there's exactly a, what's happened. You're allowed to have a yeah. finite <laughs> amount of fun. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't constantly expand. There is no ever expanding economy, even though there may be an ever expanding universe. Uh, okay. Well, um, you know, like there, uh, we have we had some other very significant headlines. Yeah, uh, yeah. This week, um, you know, not the least of which was the Supreme Court ruling in favor of workers. I mean, a Supreme Court that seemed like it might be tipping in the balance of corporate interests across the board. Um, d- d- uh, yeah, James, so, do you want to give us some background on just like kind of the ruling and like, I mean, yeah. you know, what was at stake and what was going on? Sure. So the ruling was New Prime, the case was New Prime versus Oliviera. And it was basically a guy, uh, you know, an owner operator type who was working for New Prime as a contractor. All the way back in 2013, it began. As an independent contractor. And um, 
you know, he didn't like the way he was been, being treated. He quit. He sued them. Uh, or, you know, was, but basically he had an arbitration clause in right. his contract, forced him to arbitrate, you know, and this is kind of what was at issue is, and it, it gets really complicated. I would recommend everyone read the um, Freight Waves Now video from. Or, see, or, or, or it, watch yeah. the yeah, Freight Waves Now video from Wednesday because we have some general, oh, general counsel, right. Kevin Martin, um, kind of gave us the down low of that. And yeah, it, yeah. Our, our lawyer explained the whole case. Um, but essentially what it is, it has to do with New Prime basically misclassifying its employees who, are, of course, you know, are you know, under forced dispatch and, you know, working under New Prime's authority, yada, yada, yada. Not true independent contractors. Right. Um, misclassifying them as independent contractors in order to force them into arbitration um, instead of allowing them to actually sue. So if, if, if they violated the Fair Labor Standards Act, they could kind of hide in this in this arbitration court and, and take care of all of their disgruntled employees kind of one-on-one without ever allowing them to get any momentum in court. Now, what this opens up is basically I can sue New Prime if, if they treat me poorly, and now I can ask to get certified as a class of employee. I can say, okay, there's all of these other people who are just like me who you know were tr- mistreated and underpaid under the same policies. We can all band together now. And you know, really, you know, sort of seek justice the way, in the court yeah, in, the, in yeah. the court system. Yeah, mm-hmm. The way the way I understood it, and and, and that's yeah, it, it's it's kind of complicated to understand. But the way I kind of understood it in its simplest form, and correct me if I'm off base here, uh, talking to our lawyer was uh, essentially the uh, the single employee has very little power in the arbitration situation, yes. and they don't have the funds to kind of push forward with that process because the, the lawyers are going to say, uh, it's not worth my time to represent you in this situation right, because right. they're if not you, gonna, if you If you worked for New Prime for yeah. six months and you got screwed out of $15,000 and the, the, the lawyer's looking at a third of that, if he recovers, it's 5000 bucks, but he might not get anything if he exactly. loses. It's not really worth it. But if you got 500 people... So now the class action actually makes it worth his time, which now is made legal, essentially. And, well, and essentially, like if we were really to boil this down, it's um, according to uh, our, our, our um, chief legal uh, officer, um, Kevin Martin, um, it's not a blockbuster ruling. Yeah, um, it right. is a major ruling. It's significant, but it only pertains to the ability to um, either arbitrate or, or not. And yeah, that is where and some so, of it becomes like hard to, you know, a little bit difficult to to parse out in a in a succinct way. Right. It's it's complicated. I mean, it's a Supreme Court opinion, right? So it's it's you know, if you if you want to go to SCOTUS blog, if you want to watch the video, like you, you know, it, it takes a while to understand. One of the things that it you know the 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 decision does not say, for example, is that there's no such thing as independent contractors. It kind of says, you know. If you're misclassifying independent contractors or you know, employees as independent contractors, you can't force them into arbitration. There's still, you know, there there could be a company out there that actually sort of 
you know, maintains a legal separation and actually treats independent contractors the way that independent contractors should be treated, treats employees the way they should be treated, et cetera. This decision won't affect them. Those independent contractors might still, you know, be subject to arbitration. Um, a couple of things that are interesting to note about it. It was a unanimous, if you can believe that, it was a unanimous Supreme Court decision, um, which is, you know, fascinating to think about uh, and, and unfold uh, unto itself why, how conservatives, on the one hand, could interpret a 1925 <laughs> law, um, you know, by the letter of the law, while liberals, you know, kind of interpreting it in, in the, the living, breathing, you know, like, you know, interpretation of, of the law as yeah. well. Yeah. It was um, it was a conservative um, technique that produced a liberal outcome, if you want to call it that, okay. and so everybody jumped on board. You know, Kavanaugh wasn't on the bench. It was an eight zero decision, right? It was eight zero. So yep. Kavanaugh wasn't on the bench when they did the oral argument, so he didn't vote. But you know. So the ability, like, yeah, the um, arbitrate means it's one at a time, and now they can do class action. And um, as our counsel said, uh, you know, it's it's really only bad news to the people who were not playing by the rules in the first place. Right. Um, and but, you know, but he also talked about mm-hmm. the potential for frivolous class action lawsuits because he says essentially, it, you know, he says, talks about this in the video, once you get certified as a class and once – you know, the potential for hundreds of people to join the lawsuit, you know, emerges and, you know, is a thing. Um, the cost of litigation goes up exponentially. And therefore, you he said, really, the battle is, are you a class or not? And the, the example he gave was like, you know, the company, you know, called New Prime will say, oh, well, you know, you worked for us from, you know, May to June. This, this other person you're saying is part of your class worked from July to October. That's completely different. You know, they were driving, you know, they were based in San Francisco. You're based in San Diego. It's completely different. You can't want those people together. They're not in the same class. Well, once you convince the judge that, yeah, it's the same class, then essentially you've won, and then the settlement proceeding, the negotiations start. I think like, it'll be uh, interesting to see just what this does to the dynamic of the bigger carrier who has, you know, a percentage of owner-operators. All of them have... A certain percentage of owner operators, I think right now it looks around 17, 15 to 17 percent of a lot of the carriers have a, uh, owner operators. Or, or, yeah. or the, across the, the industry, yes, 17 percent of the big fleets, of the big fleets are made up of owner operators. Owner operators, correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Um, well, um, the other two headlines are somewhat related. Um, that we thought were, were big deals um, this uh, this week. Um, first, Ford, you know, Ford and Vol- Volkswagen um, announced <laughs> partnership to jointly develop commercial vans and pickups. Kind of a big deal. I mean, cats and dogs getting in bed together. Um, and uh, and then also um, Volkswagen um, announcing a you know a Chattanooga plant expa- expansion with a focus on um, electric vehicles. Why don't we take these on together, guys? Um, well, like what. What, what, what do you think, like, what's going on with, like, in, in the macro view? What, what, why, like, what, what are the advantages? What's cool about Ford and Volkswagen getting together? Like, what's their strate- strategy here? I think, I think probably the biggest thing, especially with the electric slash autonomous kind of market, is that these guys can kind of share the risk 
because yep. this is an undeveloped. Yep. This is a totally undeveloped like. That's what it's about. Technology. So they, they for them to d dedicate an entire like infrastructure or setup to an electric or autonomous, which I think electric's fine, but autonomous. Uh, well, well the, the issue with the electric yeah. is they don't want to be competing with each other right. over the metals needed for the electric right. supply chain. Exactly. Interesting. But also, there's a little bit. They, of, they want that market to be rational. But they also have a little bit of branding here where they're kind of. Yeah, they're both the kind of the common the common yeah. person vehicle. So, like Volkswagen has this market share that doesn't compete with Ford's biggest product, which is the pickup truck and the trucks. So they're kind of like yes, and they're Ford sharing that. Of, yep. Yeah, Ford's kind of like you know saying, hey, we've got this truck market and this brand and image. Uh, we're going to help you guys out with that. Right. And Volkswagen has this presence in Europe yep. and all this kind of stuff right. that they're going to basically say. Uh, you know, we'll help you out there. So it's it's, it's a pretty good deal, I think. It's, a, it's an interesting setup to see the two big automakers kind of joining forces. Someone interestingly said that this is their attempt at competing with Tesla of all of all of all companies, which I find strange, but possibly I true. I don't know like, if they think of Tesla as their competitor. Like, I don't think that, yeah. for example, Ford thinks they don't of have anywhere near the Infinity as share. its competitor. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. they're, but they're also they're also middle class vehicles. Like, mm -hmm. I don't. None of my friends drive Teslas. No, I no, mean, no. I'm it's, not. Maybe I'm just because I'm not that rich. I don't know. A Tesla's. Uh, when like I you said, kind of a high Most end. people I know don't drive $70,000 cars. When I see one on the highway, it's it's I, I want to stay behind it and kind of check it out, you know, because it's it's that rare of an, of an occurrence. Um, well, okay, but so, like, yeah, we, we, we've long since, or, you know, for the past several weeks, noted that um, Ford has, you know, um, their CEO, um, is it Jim Hackett? Uh, he is. He is. He said that they are. They're, they're getting out of the sedan game and they're going in the the, the SUV and uh, and truck game. And that makes sense. They need money to develop electric and develop autonomous. So they're getting rid of their small, you know, their thinnest yeah. margin vehicles. But I mean, that's what Volkswagen is into as yeah. well. They're. They're. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not getting out of the sedan game. No. I mean, I mean, they have a huge presence in Europe too, where the sedans are still. Dominating. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah no one. No, people. <laughs> people don't love pickup. Like if you if you if you go to Paris, <laughs> yeah. if you, even if you go to like rural France, you're not going to see lots of pickups driving around. They don't have an abundance of space like we do here in, in, in America. Well, they, they, it's also <laughs> just a, di a completely different like car culture. You know, these these are people. These are cities that were built for trains. Right, passenger trains. Well, their their infrastructure is set up for a very compact. I mean, they've been around for yeah, yeah, right, centuries. Right, right, right. right. Try, try to try to drive. <laughs> yeah. try, try, try to drive like a Ford Expedition through medieval Toledo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Florence is dominated by um, scooters, for instance, exactly, for a exactly, very good reason. Exactly. Um, but you know, even driving around these uh, the, the antiquated um, sort of like uh, Tennessee uh, highways and, and byways um, with my Ford F one fifty. I didn't dig it. I have to admit, I didn't dig it. And after five years, I gave it up. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. And I mean, in trying to drive in downtown Atlanta traffic and park in those underground parking lots, it was, it was, that was, that was, that was. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. You gave me a little I, bit of heartburn just now. Just right like, now. Just, just talking about it, I was a little. Well, I'm bit, sorry about that. Gave me some anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> well. I'm, uh, you're, you're feeling the right, but, we, yeah. but we both drive like crossover SUVs. Yeah, I mean, I like, have a, a, you have a, kid. a Nissan Rogue, I have to admit. You, you, you have a kid. Yeah. All of a sudden, what's well, like, wow, they, how do they have so much stuff? 
<laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So, and it, well, what's also interesting is, um, you know, um, Volkswagen, ex, you know, expanding their plant, focusing on, on EVs, which I think is super cool, and it's happening right here in Chattanooga. That's very cool. Um, um, it's, it's a great um, investment into the city. Um, there's hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of jobs. Um, you know, I, I, I imagine. It's probably it's not just like adding another, you know, production line and getting a, a bunch of assembly workers. Like this is an entirely different technology base, and so I imagine like engineers and different kinds of technical managers, I'm people still, like that coming in as well. I'm still a little bit unsure how this kind of mer- like coordination works, though. Like functionally, like when I think about Ford and Volkswagen like making cars, like. Do yeah. they share like the process? Because that seems like it would be a very tough thing to do. I don't think, they, I don't think do. they have hybrid plants. Yeah. I think they they focus on each company kind of focuses on what it's good at, and mm-hmm. then they share those components across. Well, here's the kind of downer about the news is that you know, I mean, I, they they got to make plans, but. It's not really coming to fruition until 2022, 2023, guys. Um, on on right. the so you know, they've the, got the, a lot to figure out. But <laughs> in the short term, what is actually more compelling about the EVs for Volkswagen <clears throat> is that in a year and a half from now, by 2020, um, Volkswagen wants to sell 150,000 <coughs> electric vehicles. And if that sounds like a lot, which I don't know if it does to you or not, it's, but it's five lot, yeah. five years later, by 2025. They plan on killing that number, and they plan on reaching one million. Wow! I so that's think like totally changing their th- whole. That's a yeah. massive. Yeah, it's the beginning. And isn't isn't was it GM that said that they wanted like all of their models to be electric by like twenty twenty five, something yeah, like that, something did. crazy like that? I, I thought they abandoned that. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, as far as I, it it sounds to me like with EVs, it's all happening, as they say, almost famous. We'll see. I mean, over the next, like, you know, this year, next year, we'll see how much progress they make. But I mean, you know, it's there. What I mean, what the industry is saying is that there will be like a fundamental transformation of energy consumption, of the way that cars are built, of the materials that go into cars, of you know, the way that people drive them and fuel them and you know use them. I mean, it's it, we'll we'll see what this looks like. And then lithium will become the new crude, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, lithium. Yeah. It's well, not well, just and, a drug and whatever it is yeah. that that to keep you is, calm. Yeah. You know, fueling the the power plants that 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 are charging these cars, right? Right. And now for uh, for our five good minutes, we are visited by Steve Gattaletta, SVP of Sales at Redwood Logistics. Steve, great to have you on. Thanks, Chad. Hi, JP. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks for uh, making time for us. We are so excited to have you on. Thanks for uh, spending um, some good minutes with us. Um, are you ready to Are you ready to run the gauntlet of our incisive questions? As ready as I can be. All right. Well, ready or not, here we go. Take it away. Steve, what has pushed third-party logistics providers toward adopting a fully integrated model instead of just focusing on niche services like they have in the past? Great question, JP. Um, You know, I've always found that the market always drives demand, and it's really no different in this case. Uh, Over the last year, 
with the impact of the economy, uh, the challenges with the driver shortages, uh, hours of service and such, uh, a new level of efficiency has uh, really been required uh, to navigate uh, the shipping environment, and that just can't be realized with a singular or a niche approach. Right, absolutely. Um, well, uh, how have customers communicated to you about the, the need for this full service kind of solution approach? Uh, we're pretty fortunate. We've uh, had the opportunity to collaborate with our customers. Uh, you know, we they've given us that opportunity based on the trust we've built over the years. So when we visit with the customers, uh, while they tend to express these things in different ways, uh, they recognize business as usual is not going to meet their needs moving forward. Um, they also share that their attempts at uh, in, in their past approaches at, at singular changes in their supply chains, uh, you know, such as uh, issuing an RFP or um, implementing a new TMS, is just not bringing the, the desired results that they're looking for. So, guys, uh, I think what what they're they're seeing is they understand that there's an interdependency between these mm -hmm. uh, various transportation components and connecting uh, and efficiently exchanging information between these is pivotal for them to operate effectively. Makes sense. Um, and has offering of, you know, the past 18 months in the market, um, super constrained capacity, um, that might be changing now, but I'm just interested in, are these uh, this full service solution that you offer your customers, Steve, does that does that play a part in dealing with you know tight capacity? Absolutely. Um, it's really the only way to generate the efficiencies that's required in the marketplace. Uh, you know, and the entire market, whether it's shippers uh, or the transportation providers, all will benefit from the holistic approach. Uh, and dealing with what we saw last year from a capacity crunch standpoint. You know, as, as you think about uh, a competitive advantage in the past, uh, a shipper having an integrated solution uh, to approach shipping, or quite frankly, a third-party logistics company having that uh, integrated solution to provide their customers may have been a competitive advantage. Uh, what we're seeing today is that it's absolutely a competitive necessity right. uh, mm -hmm. to support what our customers are looking for. Um, and can you describe just a little bit about like what the full service solution looks like? I mean, are we talking, do you guys actually get into the internal operations of the distribution center? Is this about staging trailer pools to, to make uh, you know things r run a little bit better? What, what are the kinds of things that you offer these shippers? That's great. Great question. Uh, so we really break it down as we do uh, a next generation freight management uh, organization to provide uh, services in three buckets or verticals. Uh, and we view it as move, manage, and knowledge. And you know, from a move standpoint, uh, you know, you've got obviously LTL, parcel, uh, intermodal, uh, truckload, um, appro approaching that via uh, asset base as well as brokerage. Uh, and, and then from a managed standpoint, uh, the versatility to set up processes 
that allow our customers to uh, self-manage, co-manage uh, with us, or uh, turn the keys over and uh, have an expectation that we fully manage your transportation. And then finally, from a knowledge standpoint, uh, putting in the systems uh, that connect and allow our customers to manage their business, take full advantage from a dynamic standpoint of mode optimization, route optimization, um, and develop the dashboards so they can uh, ensure the execution of that on a real-time basis. Hey, well, right there at the five-minute mark, too. Steve, thank you so much for, um, for, for sharing some of your time with us and uh, on the subject of uh, full-service into integration and how it's basically a necessity and not just a competitive advantage. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, JP. We appreciate it. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot, Steve. Thank you. Wow, what a fantastic session it's been for uh, episode 50, um, starring Zach Strickland, Sultan of Sonar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, JP, let's see if we can manage to run down the rest of the eight headlines in two minutes or under. Are you ready? Well, ready or not, here we come. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Brexit deal is best route forward for freight industry, big deal or little deal? It's a huge deal. Um, Theresa May survived her confidence vote, and hopefully they can work out something to create some certainty for the business community. Uh, Autobahn AI wants to turn all trucks into autonomous trucks, big deal or little deal? I think it's a little deal. This is an aftermarket solution, um, and it's only promising a level two. Another step in the comeback of Roadrunner, a mainstream analyst is following them again. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. They've managed to consolidate 20 acquisitions into about six business units. Maybe the company will start making sense again. (laughs) Airbus announces 400 new jobs will build the A220 in Mobile. Big deal or little deal? I think it's kind of a big deal. Um, It's interesting that southern port cities are uh, getting all of a sudden aerospace um, interest. Slowing wood demand reduces global trade of lumber. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. While it signals a slowdown in housing construction, it's also coming off record highs and it's still a robust number. Evergreen adds megaships to its fleet. Big deal or little deal? Uh, little deal? While they're certainly enormous vessels, it's simply an increase in capacity. Volvo finding early success with subscription-based car model. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. I mean, you know, people get to drive a new car without the long-term commitment of a loan or even a lease. There's a 15,000-mile-a-year allowance. Um, There's no price um, negotiation. They're handled online. It's a cool new model. It's an awesome deal. FedEx unit to pay $35.3 million to New York State to settle cigarette trafficking charges. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Easy for you to say. Uh, the amount of the settlement, it's a big deal because the amount of the settlement is far higher than the foregone tax revenue, as the state had said. And its size was warranted, though, given FedEx ground was previously investigated for the same conduct and its actions went on for years. Boom. We got it. We did it. 155. I feel like I kind of outperformed it this time, I think. I mean, episode 50, you guys should be awesome, right? now, right? No, but we lost last time because I drank water. Well, the pendulum swings <laughs> back and forth, you know. Yes. We, they, it's it's, it's just say. like the truck. You know, we, we, we get fat and happy and complacent. We think we can just hammer it down every 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 time, like like always, and then all of a sudden you lose your edge. Well, yeah. I, I yep. have to say, too, guys, uh, for episode 50 and for having three of us, like, parlaying these complex array of headlines, 
you know, we managed our time well, keeping it just lean and mean, I have to say. So to that, <laughs> cheers. 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 Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode, and thanks again to Redwood Logistics for helping us out and partnering with us on Weather Truck. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.